Hi, my name is Mary Schober and welcome to The Notion, a podcast to sharpen your mind and open up your curiosity with thoughts to defy the status quo and conversations to challenge your beliefs, all in an effort to make this world a world to be proud of, for an ethical and exciting future. My name is Maria Schober and this is The Notion. Hi, welcome everyone. My name is Mario Schober and you are listening right now to the audio version of my essay called Why I am not vaccinated, published January 12, 2022. Why I am not vaccinated. I am not vaccinated against COVID-19. Just five years ago, in a sane and free society, I would have laughed at myself for feeling obliged writing publicly about such a personal health choice. Unfortunately, our society is not that free anymore. The personal decision to get a COVID-19 vaccine or not ought to be an absolutely free and voluntary choice. But is this really the case? As an unvaccinated person currently living in Germany, I can account from my personal experience that it is not an absolutely free and voluntary choice anymore. What started as an enormous pressure from illiberal politics quickly swept over to mass media simply parroting the government and forgetting to ask and report the hard questions. This propaganda divided our society to such an extent that I feel as an unvaccinated person discriminated against. I want to live in a free society. I also want my children to grow up in a free society. For me, a free society means that we can publicly debate and express our opinions without the fear that we will be cancelled and attacked. Today I'm getting asked over and over again, why are you not vaccinated? While asking, people literally look at me as if I'm a lunatic. It worries me a lot that our society is putting unvaccinated people into the same category as drunk drivers, murderers, criminals and mentally retarded. Today we've arrived at a point where liberal countries, including Germany, publicly promote mandatory vaccinations. Unfortunately, without any critical thinking whatsoever. It is absolutely necessary that we soberly look at the risk of COVID-19, what protection the vaccines provide and weigh in the side effects of the vaccines. Then we should also differentiate between age and health status. In the end, we should let everyone make their own benefit, risk assessment and decision. But to make well-informed decisions and to be able to assess the risk of COVID-19 as well as the risks and benefits of the available vaccines properly, we have to make sure that the data is freely and unaltered available to everyone. The third fact is, this data is not freely available. 
The spectrum of opinions is incredibly low. Only if you take the time to do your own research, you will at least stop trusting the media and politicians blindly. I decided to elaborate my viewpoint on why I'm not vaccinated to hopefully resituate the common sense of other people and help unite our society again. As I also have to justify myself over and over again, I will simply point anyone asking me why are you not vaccinated to this article or to this audio version. This article will list my main reasons and then share red flags I encountered as well as other aspects to consider. I regard this article as a work in progress and I will keep updating and adding to this article as time moves forward. Reasons why I'm not vaccinated. Reason number one, natural immunity. The first and the major reason why I'm not getting vaccinated is that I have natural immunity against COVID-19. The fact that we are pushing individuals who had COVID-19 or who have proven antibodies to still get vaccinated makes me sick. In early 2021, my fiancé caught together with her entire family COVID-19. We lived together and we did not quarantine like uh, like some idiots actually do. We did not quarantine and separate rooms with cling wrap and door frame. Instead, I nursed her, we hugged, we kissed, we slept in the same bed for the entire four or five days she was sick. The fact is, I did not become sick. There is, this results in the following conclusion. Likely, I already had natural immunity from a previous contact with the coronavirus and or my immune system was strong enough to fight off the coronavirus immediately. In other words, I had asymptomatic COVID-19. Either way, I arguably have natural immunity, which offers stronger protection than any available vaccine. For us, COVID-19 is over. Sure, now people will come and say, but Marius, you can get reinfected. This argument always struck me as suspect. A scientific brief of the WHO states that evidence suggests that natural infection may provide similar protection against symptomatic disease as vaccination. As we see with the latest vaccine efficacy data, I believe this statement is a clear understatement. Natural immunity is far superior in protecting against a symptomatic disease than the vaccines. Is there even a single rational reason to assume that a vaccine would give you greater immunity than the real virus a person already went through and survived? That's at least what my common sense tells me. Luckily, there are over 81 studies from well-respected medical and science journals who prove just that. Now, some will argue that the antibodies in the unvaccinated are veining. The mainstream media interpreted that veining antibodies in recovered patients mean that the natural immunity is not long-lived. Ali Elbedi 
Associate Professor of Pathology and Immunology at Washington University School of Medicine, underlines that this is absolutely false. He is the co-author of a peer-reviewed study published in the journal Nature, which found out that people who have recovered from COVID-19 developed long-lasting, robust, antigen-specific immune response that can protect them for many years. Ali Albedi said that it's normal for antibody levels to go down after acute infection, but they don't go down to zero, they plateau. They found antibody producing cells in people 11 months after the first symptoms. These cells will live and produce antibodies for the rest of people's lives. That's strong evidence for long-lasting immunity. A different study by the Cleveland Clinic conducted on 52,238 employees concluded that, quote, individuals with previous SARS-CoV-2 infection do not get additional benefits from vaccination, full stop. In a study from Qatar, the risk recurrence within one year in unvaccinated convalescents was 0.37%. The risk of severe course was as low uh, of severe course was as low as 0.001%, and there was not a single death. My common sense and research, with indisputably statistically significant sample sizes, tell me that there's no reason to get vaccinated if you already went through COVID-19. Reason number two, no risk from COVID-19. I don't write this solely out of selfish reasons, but for many other young and healthy kids, teenagers and young adults who statistically have a close to zero risk of severe sickness or death from COVID-19. Of those young and healthy people, there are even millions who already caught COVID-19 knowingly or unknowingly. These people have zero benefit, but bear a real risk from a vaccine, which is technically still experimental. But more on that later. Even if I was certain that I, even if I wasn't certain that I have natural immunity against COVID-19, I still would not get any vaccine. Why? When deciding whether one gets a vaccine, one should consider one's personal benefit-harm balance. While the overall death rate of COVID-19 is extremely low in the first place, this is even more true for young people, as you can see in the following chart. So the chart you cannot see right now is displaying in different age groups the COVID-19 death rates according to death rates uh, and gender. The data is from the Robert Koch Institute, uh, which is a German institute publishing the death rates um, and so on. So all data um, regards to COVID-19. Um, this graph or this chart is showing that from zero, age 0 to 4, 5 to 14, 15 to 34, you don't even see a bar. Um, it's best when you look it up in the blog article, but you don't even see a bar. There is no bar. There is no 
considerably a risk for those age groups. The bar is really, really but a tiny, tiny bar starts showing up from age 35 to 59, but it's still tiny. So the risk starts to show up from age 60 to 79 and especially from age 80 and plus. So back to the article. COVID-19 is not affecting those younger than 35 years old in any meaningful way. An early pre-Omicron uh, systematic review showed that the risk of dying from COVID-19 is 10,000 times higher for people older than 80 years than for children younger than 10. This risk has to be, weight has to be weighted with the risk of severe adverse effects of the vaccine, which occur about as frequently in children as in adults. See figures in the Paul Ehrlich Institutes in the next paragraph. Around 400 German doctors state and sign off the following statement. In children, and I quote, in children, moreover, the number of vaccinations required to prevent severe COVID-19 disease or even death from COVID increases many times over. It can be concluded that, that uh, the benefit-harm balance of vaccination for children, adolescents and young adults is very likely to be negative, i.e. more harm is done with vaccination than severe COVID disease is prevented. At most, in the elderly and those with risk factors for a severe course, any protective effect of vaccination might outweigh the negative effect. End of quote. Furthermore, I would like to add that age is not the only risk factor. Next to age, the risk of COVID-19 is mainly determined by existing chronic diseases. Our overweight seems to be a good indicator of those underlying chronic diseases. I am neither overweight nor do I have any chronic diseases. Reason number three, health risks and side effects. First. The COVID-19 mRNA and the vector vaccines have more reports of serious adverse effects and deaths to the Paul Ehrlich Institute than any other drug or vaccine ever. So if you're young with a close to zero risk of serious illness from COVID-19, you still get exposed to the downsides of the vaccines. As of the 30th November 2021, the Paul Ehrlich Institute reports 196,974 adverse effects, of which 30.3% or 26,296 are serious, which means they require hospitalization. The most common serious adverse events were myocarditis, pericarditis, severe allergic reactions, thrombosis and platelate, platelate deficiency and bod total body paralysis. Experts all around the world state that the number of unreported adverse effects and deaths is probably many times higher. A peer-reviewed article showed that 1 in 2680 or 
37.32 per 100,000, young men develop myocarditis. Quote, there is a significant increase in the risk of acute myocarditis, pericarditis, following Comirnaty vaccination among Chinese male adolescents, especially after the second dose. Uh, end of quote. This is all d'accord with Albert Bourla, who is CEO of Pfizer. He said in an interview with CNBC that they are developing new versions of the mRNA vaccine, not because the current doses of vaccines are not effective, but they don't have the safety profile that we hoped we can achieve with this technology. End of quote. The main part of the interview is uh, available for free in a podcast called Squawk from uh, CNBC. I will spell it uh, to you S-Q-U-A-W-K. Let's get back to the article. A lack of safety profile corresponds with what Scott Davison, CEO of One America, a 100 billion insurance company, observed. Davison said in December 2021 that the death rate is up a stunning 40% from pre-pandemic levels among working-age people, which is the highest death rate we have seen in history. But he's not talking about the elderly, but primarily working-age people 18 to 64, whose deaths are not classified as COVID-19 deaths. Now you tell me, we see this massive rise in death rate coincidentally after mass vaccination program with workplace vaccine mandates everywhere. But for me, this is not where the aspect of risk ends. As the previously mentioned doctors say, we simply do not know the long-term effects of an antibody-dependent enhancement of inflammatory processes upon reinfection. Furthermore, it is not foreseeable whether the nucleoside-modified mRNA of the mRNA vaccines will uh, will favor the development of immune complex and autoimmune diseases. The observation periods are simply too short so far. Reason number four lacking effectiveness of the vaccine. One can only say say how well a vaccine works if you have unbiased observational studies with vaccinated and unvaccinated persons. The original effectiveness of the mRNA vaccines of Moderna and BioNTech-Pfizer were stated in the range of 60% to 95%. The problem? The follow-ups of these studies lasted only 10 to 14 weeks, after which the non-vaccinated control group got vaccinated. There is no control group anymore. A large cohort study from Israel with 569,618 vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals showed that the effectiveness of 95% is a marketing story. The relative risk reduction of vaccinated individuals regarding hospitalization was, at that time, only 58%. 
the absolute death risk reduction was only 0.0039%, which means 26,000 people must get vaccinated to prevent one death. But this data already ceased to be valid. Subsequent studies showed that the vaccine effic uh, effectiveness declines over time. After only four months, a study observed a decline in relative vaccine effectiveness from 90 over 90% to only 65%. There's more to it. And also, Israel's Ministry of Health published in early July 2021 that the efficacy against infection and symptomatic disease fell to 64%. 64%. And by late July which is not even one month later, it had fallen to only 39%. Dr. Peter Doshi, who is the editor of the British medical journal BMJ, underlined this massive waning immunity and criticizes the FDA's expected full approval of the mRNA vaccine, which usually requires an efficacy of at least 50%. One article published in The Lancet concluded an absolute risk reduction of the BioNTech-Pfizer vaccine of only 0.84%. But there's more to it than that. A recent cohort study from Sweden shows that after six months, the vaccine efficacy reaches basically zero, so that protection can no longer be assumed. As we see, the effectiveness of the vaccines was already waning with the Delta variant, which is why we saw breakthrough cases everywhere. With Omicron, the, effectis the effectiveness of two doses is basically non-existent. Also, with a third shot, the vaccine effectiveness against Omicron is 37% after seven days of receiving the booster, which is, which is devastating low. A Danish study not only confirmed this finding, but showed that after 90 days, the effectiveness of the vaccines went negative. This means vaccinated people were more susceptible to Omicron infection than the, than the unvaccinated. Even Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla admits this. In an interview with Yahoo Finance, Albert Bourla said, Quote, two doses of the vaccine offers very limited protection, if any. Three doses with a booster offer reasonable protection against hospitalization and death, less protection against infection. Furthermore, we have seen with the second dose very clearly that the first thing that we lost was the protection against infections. But then, Two months later, what used to be very strong in hospitalization also went down. And I think this is what everybody's worried about. End of quote. A third dose seems to work for a short period, but Albert Bola also admits, quote, The question mark, it is how long the protection lasts with the third dose. End of quote. Red flags. 
The effectiveness of the vaccine must at all time be weighted against the personal risk of the disease and the risk of serious adverse events of the vaccine. In the beginning, this personal risk assessment was primarily the reason I decided not to get vaccinated. However, there is more to it than that. Over the last year, several red flags emerged which red flags emerged which raised serious suspicions over the vaccines. Red flag number one, contracts. Leaked contracts of Pfizer show that, quote, a liability waiver be signed for any possible side effects of the vaccine, exempting Pfizer from any civil liability for serious side effects arising from the use of the vaccine indefinitely. End of quote. Pfizer is protected from any legal liability in the in the event uh, that adverse effects that are not currently known. And the real kicker is the following. The government must pay Pfizer's legal fees if they get sued. But um, the Pfizer League indicated more to us. Pfizer acknowledges with their contracts that their product may not work. They admit that it may have unknown harmful effects. They know that they will likely be sued and that they are legally protected from any downside while securing gigantic profits. The contracts also include paragraphs which I assume are illegal for any democratic state with a separation of legislative and judiciary power. I quote, Purchasers also expressly and irre irrevocably waivers the application of any law in any jurisdiction that may otherwise limit or cap its obligation to pay damages arising from or in connection with any indemnified claims and bind purchasers and the state of Brazil to limitation of liability and liability waivers set forth herein. End of quote. Quote, purchasers will continue to have adequate statutory or regulatory authority and adequate funding to fulfill the indentation and obligations provide adequate protection to Pfizer and shall maintain such laws and funding a, conden a condition precedent to supply requires that purchasers shall implement and maintain in effect such statutory or regulatory requirements sufficient to meet its obligations in the contract shall remain such statutory and regulatory requirements for as long as necessary. The sufficient of such, of such statutory or regulatory requirements shall be in the supplier's sole dis discretion." End of quote. As Eden points out, these clauses raise many red flags and raise the question, does a government, which is the executive branch in democracy, have the right to make an obligation to restrict the legislative branch, the parliament, as well as restrict the judiciary branch of democracy, which are the courts, question mark. Red flag number two, 
zero liability. As red flag number one shows, the government's announced vaccine makers are absolutely immune from any liability. I distrust anyone who has zero skin in the game. Anyone who enjoys all the upside while desisting all the downside loses my trust. I understand that minimizing a 10-year clinical trial process to a few months brings unbearable risks to both the vaccine developers and the vaccinated persons. I guess it was probably large-scale corruption or plainly the government's fault to forego any liability from Pfizer and, uh, and co. See red flag number one. Either way, I don't trust this. Red flag number three, criminal record. Vaccine manufacturers are absolute immune from any form of liability. But it is also no secret that Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer and AstraZeneca have a criminal reputation. Johnson & Johnson lost major lawsuits in 1995, 1996, 2001, 2010, 2011, 2016 and 2019. Pfizer, the world's largest pharmaceutical company, bears the title of the largest criminal settlement payment in history. It is one of the, if not the, world's most unethical company, with so many lawsuits that it's hard to count. AstraZeneca has also lost so many lawsuits that it's hard to count. They did knowingly launch harmful products into the market when one could sue them. How can we be so confident that with COVID-19 it is different and altruistic? Why would anyone blindly trust felons who have unlimited immunity from liability? Red flag number four, secrecy. Shady contracts and dubious shielding from liability is not enough. Governments and corporations are urging people to get vaccinated, primarily with mRNA vaccines from Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna, and they are publicly announcing mandatory vaccinations, but at the same time they withhold the data which, which would support the safety and efficacy of, uh, of those vaccines. On, in November 2021, the FDA asked a federal judge to wait until the year 2076 to fully release Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine data. What? In 54 years, all people who are responsible for this mess are either dead or they are about to die. Fortunately, a few days ago, a judge from Texas labeled the data of paramount importance and ordered the FDA to release all data in eight months instead of 54 years. In Germany, politicians are faking and playing with numbers to mislead citizens on the effectiveness of the vaccine, as uncovered by Tim Rühn, in the newspaper Welt. If the data is so positive and promising, why would the FDA postpone the release of it until 2076? If the data is proving how risk-free the vaccine is, 
why aren't the pharma companies willing to accept liability for their pro for their great products now why is the german government misleading citizens this secrecy and fraud is definitely not inspiring my confidence red flag number five cancel culture one thing that worries me a lot is the lack of scientific and civil debate there is basically no debate because different or disagreeing opinions get cancelled nobody dares to speak up those who do get cancelled or risk their entire career and reputation admittedly i am uh, i am taking a personal and professional risk by writing and publishing this article uh, you're listening to right now Recently, Robert W. Malone, who is basically the inventor of mRNA technology, got banned on Twitter for speaking up. He's not alone. Everyday scientists like Robert uh, Malone, but also everyday people and victims of vaccine adverse events get silenced. They get deplatformed, they lose their jobs, they lose orders, customers, friends. Then there is Dr. Gerd van den Bosche, a world-renowned vaccinologist who is sounding the alarm as well. I've been following him since the beginning because what he said and warned about made absolute sense. Just like Robert Malone, Gerd van den Bosche is putting his entire career and reputation at risk by speaking up against the common narrative. Slowly, he got denounced, cancelled, and his offers for open debates were never accepted by any of his colleagues and neither by the WHO. I generally respect and listen to people who take personal risks, show personal ownership, and who thereby have skin in the game. Just the opposite of what the pharma, felons, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, or Johnson & Johnson do. In such an environment where scientific debate is suppressed, I wouldn't dare to freely believe the conventional narrative. Other aspects to consider. Aspect number one, mass vaccinations. Gerd van den Bosche, who spent his entire career overseeing the development of vaccines, is, warn is warning that mass vaccination campaigns emit a pandemic will put pressure on the virus so that it keeps mutating and become more deadly and might lead to a vaccine resistant and natural immunity resistant virus. You can read more on Gerd van den Bosche and his viewpoints on his blog called Voice for Science and Solidarity and you can also subscribe to his Substack or Telegram. Gerd van den Bosche is, by the way, not alone. Also, Robert Malone and Professor Luc Montagnier, a 2008, uh, 2008 Nobel laureate, underline that vaccines are creating variants. Luc Montagnier calls mass vaccination, quote, an enormous mis mistake, end of quote. Aspect number two, gain of function research. What sounded like a crazy conspiracy is now most likely the origin of the coronavirus. Project Veritas just yesterday released documents which prove again uh, 
which prove gain-of-function research beyond a doubt. I highly suggest that you watch the original story and download and read the documents yourself. You can simply go to projectveritas.com and there you find not only the story, you also find the video and you also find the uh, documents which uh, Project Veritas released. Interesting quotes from a leaked report from August 2021 to the Inspector General of the Department of Defense written by U.S. Marine Corps Major Joseph Murphy, a former DARPA fellow. Quote, SARS-CoV-2 matches the DARS vaccine variants the NIH Echo Health program was making in Wuhan, that the DOD rejected the program proposal because vaccines would be ineffective and because the spike proteins being inserted into the variants were deemed too dangerous, gain of function, and that the DOD now mandates vaccines that copy the spike protein previously deemed too dangerous. To me and to those who informed by my analysis, the situation meets no-go or abort criteria with regards to the vaccines until the toxicity of the spike protein can be investigated. End of quote. Next quote. SARS-CoV-2 is an American-created recombinant bad vaccine or its precursor virus. End of quote. Next quote. SARS-CoV-2 is a synthetic spike protein chimera engineered to attach to human ACE2 receptors. It is likely a live vaccine or it is likely a live vaccine not yet engineered to a more attenuated state that the program sought to create with its final version. End of quote. Next quote. The reason to the reason the disease is so confusing is because it is less a virus than it is engineered spike proteins hitching hiking on a right hitch hitchhiking a right on a Zarskov quasi species swarm. End of quote. Next quote. Because of its known nature, the Zarskov WIV's illness is readily resolved with early treatment that inhibits the viral replication that spreads the spike proteins around the body, which induce a harmful overactive immune response as the body tries to clear the spikes from the ACE2 receptors." End of quote. Next quote. Ivermectin works throughout all phases of illness because it both inhibits viral replication and modulates the immune response. End of quote. Next quote. The gene encoded or mRNA vaccine work poorly because they are synthetic replication of the already synthetic Azars-CoV WIV spike proteins and possess no other epitopes. The mRNA instructs the cells to produce synthetic copies of the SARS-CoV WIV synthetic spike protein directly into the bloodstream, wherein they spread and produce the same ACE2 immune storm that the recombinant vaccine does. End of quote. 
All of this should make us question the mRNA vaccines and focus on prophylaxis and early treatment with ivermectin, remdesivir and hydroxychloroquine. And we should also hold Dr. Anthony Fauci and everyone else involved accountable. Clothing words. I wish that we all come together as humans and restore a free society where we can exchange ideas freely and have public debates again, even if we disagree with each other. This is the only way forward. Cancelling voices and forcing medical treatments will only bring us a dystopian world we all don't want our children to grow up in. Why are we in such a horrible situation? I would argue we have allowed a large-scale corruption in politics, in big tech and in pharma, big pharma, to silently rule our world. Let us all speak up against any kind of corruption, any kind of unfairness and any kind of unethical behavior. In the end, we all want to live happily and healthy with our family and create a world we can be proud of. Let us all work towards an ethical and exciting future. It all starts with speaking up for the truth, even if it's dangerous. Recently, I heard somebody say, what does all the health mean if you live in a dirty prison? Ideally, freedom and health stand, uh, stand at an equivalent, so at an equivalent place. But if it comes to the worst, freedom comes before health. Otherwise, we will wake up in a communist hell. So with love and respect, Marius Schober.